Hello and welcome to Podagogies, a learning and teaching podcast at Ryerson University in Toronto on the Dish with One Spoon territory. I'm Curtis Maloli. And I'm Chelsea Jones. Today we're talking about teaching and learning in graduate school. We've brought in two people with a view from the upper echelons who say that community connection is the secret to graduate success. They are two deans. Jennifer McTavish is the vice provost and dean of the Yates School of Graduate Studies at Ryerson. And Samantha Webby is the associate dean of graduate studies, student affairs. Hello, Jennifer and Samantha. Hi. Hi, Chelsea and Curtis. So the first thing I want to know is who are our graduate students? How does a graduate student in 2019 look different than a graduate student from 10 or 20 years ago? So I have the privilege of interacting with a lot of graduate students because of the university-wide events that we do and also one-on-one with students. Um, And I can tell you we have, and um, you know, this is not biased at all, but we have amazing students. Uh, They come with full lives. And I think this is perhaps one of the, I don't know if it's a difference, but it's something that we're noticing a lot more. Uh, These are students who are already accomplished in their lives, who are coming in with families with previous careers, um, but also coming in with kind of a thirst for something different, something that's going to push their professional development, that's going to push their educational horizons a little bit more. Uh, And so you'll see that kind of student. We're also seeing, of course, students who may be coming in from undergraduate degrees, uh, other types of programs and trainings who want to advance uh, their learning, who also want to advance their careers. Uh, We're still seeing that type of student as well. But we're also seeing a lot more students that are coming in with uh, those kinds of um, more expansive and richer types of backgrounds. Jennifer, would you agree? That's yeah, that? I, I think that's a pretty accurate characterization. I think the the key thing is that it's a it's a very diverse student body and population. Uh, Twenty five years ago, it was less common to see a student that would go straight through a university career without interruptions with professional experience or or work outside of the university. Increasingly, over the last number of years, we've seen students who have almost used university as a as a holding pattern in the face of changing economic times, job opportunities, and the like. So we've got a really diverse and eclectic group of students from those that that perhaps have sequentially gone through versus those who've who've come back inspired by their experiences and are really looking to make a a contribution in their respective fields uh, that builds, their education builds on their experience. And even in the focus of like what graduate students are choosing to research, Mm -hmm. you know, I know when I was thinking, and I mean, I'm I was in grad school 10 years ago. Um, when I was thinking about my grad experience, it was really focused around a really specific topic, almost so so specific that it was meaningless to me and I wasn't sure I wanted to continue. And I know a lot of the graduate students that we have at Ryerson are doing interdisciplinary work, that there's this push for interdisciplinary work, um, that programs are thinking outside of rigid disciplinary boundaries. Um, is that a, a, a kind of common trend in, in graduate education? Well, I think interdisciplinarity has been a a trend and an acknowledged way of thinking about the world for it's not something new. And to be perfectly honest, we don't do it particularly well. Uh, Our structures aren't entirely set up to enable that trans, we should really be talking about transdisciplinarity. And when we think Mm -hmm. about the complexities of the challenges in our world today, 
it requires a diversity of ways of looking at a particular issue. But, but more than that is bringing those diversities of perspectives and knowledge together to transform uh, the nature of our knowledge in a particular area. And so uh, I think absolutely by the nature of our times, it demands those more transdisciplinary approaches. I think the real challenge is how do universities, how do requirements in graduate school morph and transform themselves to reflect those contemporary realities. One of the, the most creative discussions we have had has been about sort of how do we think about disciplines in a different way? How do we bring the focus of attention to specific social issues or social problems, however we want to talk about that? And how do we bring in people from different disciplines so that the focus becomes that issue as opposed to, oh, I'm a philosopher or, oh, I'm a, uh, you know, a physicist or whatever I may be, right? Um, so that's been one of those creative conversations that where we've tried to push uh, somehow the boundary. Because part of it is institutional, right, about how the structures are set up so that we're, we're not necessarily, we say we want to do that, but we're not necessarily concretely favoring that. But also one of, the, one of the things that we need to listen to a little bit more is what graduate students are saying to us. And so whenever we have an event that's a cross-university event and you have graduate students coming in from different disciplines, that's one of the number one feedbacks they give us is, oh, I love these events because I get to meet students from across the university from different disciplines. And it's amazing to see the kinds of connections and networking that happen at these events that actually push beyond, you know, the, the little limited knowledge that I'm getting or I'm I'm focusing on in my own program. And that's enriching on multiple levels for students. So is that what you mean when you say the secret to graduate success has to do with community connection? Well, that's certainly part of it. I think that idea where you bring people together and create opportunities for for collisions in ideas and people's intersections of interest. It's fascinating. To, there was a group of students a couple of years ago that got together and there was an engineer and an aerospace engineer and a student in documentary filmmaking. And they shared this fascination with sci-fi films. And so all of a sudden came this idea about creating this uh, documentary of, um, of sci-fi films over over the generations. And, and that conversation wouldn't have happened, and, and not, not as sort of a, a trivial thing, but actually quite a scholarly lens on what do we learn about leadership, for example, through um, Star Wars. And so when you bring people together in, and opportunities to talk about different ideas, whether it be a world issue or, or a passion that people have, you open all kinds of windows to things that you never would have thought about in isolation. The community part of that, I think, is, is, is really important. Also, graduate school can be a little bit isolating. Hmm. And for people's wellness, you need to, one, have people you can connect with. It's also really important to get out of your head. Mm-hmm. The opportunities and spaces to have conversations that, that bring your, your full interest to bear can be, both be um, therapeutic, and, but can also be very creative and lead you to places that you maybe never imagined. And I know this is a big priority for you because you, you, in your time as dean, you've really changed even the shape of graduate studies, um, creating a student affairs position, associate dean position to bring Sam in. And Sam, I know you're in your 
own uh, graduate background, you had a PhD in social work and yet did a subsequent MFA in documentary media. Yes. Great uh, program, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so if we're to, so to build on that and encouraging these interdisciplinary connections and thinking in transdisciplinary ways, what are some of the, the ways that you are implementing that in, in for graduate curriculum or trying to think about doing that in graduate curriculum? Well, I think I think we have a number of of spokes, if you will. If the hub is how do we reimagine graduate education for the 21st century, if that's our overarching view, there are many inputs into to thinking about that. So we have student engagement opportunities mm-hmm. that people say, oh, isn't that nice that you get together and socialize? It's about building community. It's about building networks. It's about connecting people to, to develop those kinds of collisions of ideas that take us places we wouldn't have imagined on our own. If we could start again, and it's not about taking away from things, but if we could if we could rethink what it is we do at the graduate level in terms of the courses we offer, what we view as acceptable capstones, like what does mm-hmm. a thesis need to look like? Are comprehensive examinations fulfilling a function in the 21st century because they were designed at a time when we didn't have access to, ready access to information. Mm-hmm. So we've got people rethinking that. We have people at, at the front line in studios, in labs, in classrooms that are experimenting with and playing with different ways of delivering curriculum, you know, blended classroom, flipped classrooms. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think it's a, a singular input. I think it's this hub of saying, what does a relevant 21st century graduate education look like? And then the spokes that feed into that can be, there's room mm-hmm. for many, many inputs. There's a lot of emphasis on experiential learning at the undergraduate level and in those types of uh, types of programs. Um, but what we're doing right now is looking at how that looks in terms of graduate education. And as Jennifer was saying, does that change the way we think of capstones? Does that change the way we think of what a graduate program is designed to do? And so that's part of the work that we're undertaking as well that is that feeds into that reimagining. Well, another really big input into that is the work we've been doing in partnership with the other services across campus. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. great work with Learning Teaching Office, mm-hmm. the Career, Career Center, Center with yep. Um, yep. Teaching and Learning Support Services, and so a great example of that in, in the 21st century, graduates of graduate programs, especially at the doctoral level, the only pathway is not, you know, feeding into the professoriate anymore. There are a vast array of areas that um, could well benefit from hiring someone with the educational background of someone with a, a, with a doctoral degree. Mm-hmm. And so we've been working very intentionally with the career center on one helping students to understand how their knowledge how their education translates into into skills that uh, are highly desirable in any sector and also be mindful that we're at a time in history when you know if if you think 5 years out student comes in year 1 they're here for 4 years and graduate where they started in year 1 and where they finish, they're not only transformed, but the world in which we live has, has cycled in many ways into something different. So that idea of, you know, educating someone now that's going to translate into something in the future, you really have to focus on that, that extension of the, the competencies, the education, how those might play in a world that might look different in five years' time.
You mentioned, I know you've been both very intentional um, working also with graduate students to get graduate students to define what their needs are and what they want to do. And you're working with graduate program directors. And we're working in a world where, as you said, we don't really know what 10 years down, the, what the world's going to look like in 10 years. It's going to be, who knows what it looks mm -hmm. like. So from a curriculum level, from a pedagogy level, I imagine that's a huge challenge to be able mm -hmm. to, to figure out how to reinvent graduate studies when you're working in that kind of environment. Uh, so for, for both of you, where have you started? Where does that process begin? That's a, that's a great question because I keep thinking that if we only focus on the substantive content of the disciplines that we're looking at or the programs that we're looking at, um, then, you know, that, that's, that's going to change. Right? We know. I mean, I started teaching in social work uh, 18 years ago. And what we were teaching 18 years ago, although that's a relatively short period of time, uh, is not the same as what we're teaching today. So if we're just looking at the substantive content of what we're teaching, um, that, that's, that's not going to take us too, too far. Of course, that's important, right? I mean, I am, I am an academic, so I'm never going to say that's not important. Of course, it's important. But and I want to take us back to the scholarship because there's a there's a, a reason why people study what we do, uh, of course, uh, because it gives us a really good base, at least, and a foundation to try to understand better where we want to head. And one of the things that comes up repeatedly is this idea that the soft skills are so important. And I'm not saying anything new here. It's just I think we haven't given it the focus that it requires. So communication skills, the ability to have empathy, the ability to work together, the ability to collaborate, to problem solve, all of these are coming up again and again, regardless of the discipline. As an engineer, as a business person, as a social worker, you need those, right? So if and, and I see this in a lot of the uh, events that we plan, in a lot of the rethinking and the reimagining that we're doing. If our focus is on how we continue to build that capacity and that intelligence in our students, and here, of course, I'm using intelligence in a very broad kind of human way, um, then, then we are doing our students a service. But we're not just doing our students a service. To go back to your original point, we're doing society a service. So I think this is how those two can join together and how we can, we can do partly the reimagining of graduate education. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it sounds like a – don't want to sound like a heretic. Obviously, I'm an academic and the, the content, the discipline specific, the knowledge component is critically important. I think as the kinds of people that are attracted to graduate school, we're hardwired to already get that. Mm. In my view, I don't call them soft skills. I call them essential skills. Mm -hmm. And it's not just our scholarship that shows us how fundamentally important those are, independent of where you – uh, apply your trade once you've graduated, but employers increasingly are saying that. The reimagining that you're describing, it sounds very appealing. This idea of focusing on the transdisciplinary and thinking toward soft or essential skills. But I have in my mind the graduate student in the library by themselves wondering how to meet these capstones that even from an administration level, things like your comprehensive exams, I assume that must be difficult to nudge. You can't push those out of the way easily. So the thing that's on my mind is that there are still very material, real mm -hmm. struggles for graduate students that relate to funding and deadlines and those very capstones you were naming. So how do you reconcile these big and very appealing ideas with 
the struggles of, of graduate life? The answer is you don't do that easily and you don't do it. This is a, this is a process. It's a long-term uh, conversation process of reflection. It's not just something that I think is owned by whether you be a dean, associate dean, a faculty member, a student. This is about a fundamental and open conversation about what is the purpose of education at the graduate level. Mm-hmm. Why is it relevant? Why does it matter? You know, we, we live in a time when basically this is a time in Ontario that's highly anti-intellectual. Mm-hmm. And that, that idea that somehow that uh, advanced education and learning is the antithesis of what is important to be a good citizen in Ontario, a good citizen of the world. And, and that's so far from the truth, right? It, so I, I think the conversation is an ongoing conversation. It has many inputs. I also think it requires a willingness to deploy some of those very skills we've talked about, to, to be creative, to try mm-hmm. things, to, mm-hmm. to say, well, we might not always get it right, but, but to, and we have been experimenting with some of those things, alternative um, media and forms of, of uh, theses and dissertations, for example. Uh, we have seen changes in some areas to, uh, to comprehensive or candidacy exams. So I'm, I'm, I think it's a process. I think it, it takes time, and that's not to take away from the fact that students have very real uh, issues, life issues that, that are going on around that. But I think it starts with that willingness to have a conversation and to, to really put it all on the table and to say, what is the ultimate model that reflects our times as opposed mm-hmm. to we've, we've cast back and have teleported a model from another century two other centuries <laughs> to hear. Mm-hmm. And all I'm saying is it's worth having a conversation, a critical look at what we're doing. That question, um, what is the value of graduate education, I don't think is a question that was maybe, it's a kind of a recent question in a way. Like mm-hmm. we sort of took for granted that, of course, graduate education is valuable, mm-hmm. but it's maybe being spurned on by, um, you know, this, the, and I know I've spoken to graduate students about this, the anxiety about what I'm going to do with my future. Will I get a job? There's no jobs in the professoriate. Mm-hmm. All the things that used to be taken for granted about graduate education. Um, so on the one hand, there's a fear where we have to, or a fear that maybe asks us to ask that question: What is the value? And at the, on the other hand, an opportunity to to really, as you're saying, rethink and be creative and re-inspire what graduate education looks like. Mm-hmm. Can you think of some practical examples in graduate curriculum that where you're seeing this question manifest itself in new ways? Can I just go back to your your sort of synthesis that led into yes. your question? Yes. Because what you're hitting on is is really what I think is a myth about higher education. That idea that it's only now that we're asking what's the relevance when we see opportunities, for example, doctoral students um, articulating into academic jobs. If you cast back to the previous century and the century before that, it wasn't until Second World War that this, this preoccupation with repopulating the professoriate was seen as the outcome of graduate education. Mm. In, mm. in early times, we viewed advanced education as a way of addressing smart people applying their, their brain power, their expertise to the pressing questions of the day. And who wouldn't want that from a public policy perspective, from an immigration and settlement perspective? We've become very instrumental in the connection between education and employment. And that is really a phenomenon of 
the last 75, 100 years. That is not. And I think there's some benefit to going back and saying, why, is it, why does it matter that we have communities, citizenry, that's well-educated, thoughtful, and dedicated to deploying their intellectual resources or otherwise to doing stuff that matters? And that be, matters. It's back to the question of success. Success isn't defined by, by the job you get, the paycheck you get. Success is defined by something much greater than that. And so I, I just don't want to feed into that idea that, mm. you know, all of a sudden we're asking this question because, you know, professors aren't retiring soon enough and people don't have, you know, precarious employment. That, that's, for me, this, like, no, we need to re, re-engage our thinking about why education matters. When you're speaking to students, Sam, is that like what? How do they approach this? What's their feeling about it? Do they see it in that lens? It's it's great that you said that because when we were talking, I was thinking that the missing piece in this conversation has been the students and what the graduate students are saying about these changes, um, and and how they see themselves doing things differently. And absolutely, they are talking about this. This is a topic that comes up in a couple of pl- a couple of ways. I think the first way that we've been kind of, you know, talking about is the anxiety provoking and provoked kind of way, right? Like, oh my God, what am I going to do when I finish? And um, you know, what what's waiting for me out there? And 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 you know, we have really good collaborations across the university that Jennifer has mentioned, where we are trying to address that anxiety, but in really positive ways about sort of helping students to see and imagine a future um, that can. Include include many options and many pathways, not just sort of this this linear path that we may imagine, the myth that we may imagine, right, about, you know, oh, I'm going to get myself a PhD and I'm going to go into academia or whatever. But then there is the other way, and that's the really creative way. And so you've got the anxiety provoked, and then you've got the creativity-fueled way of doing mm. things. And that's where I'm seeing some really incredible ideas come up from students. So one of the things that was started, um, or I should say Jennifer started at uh, Graduate Studies at YSGS is the Student Advisory Board. Um, and the Graduate Student Advisory Board met last year for the, fir- uh, for the first time. And this board is composed of students from every faculty. Well, it's not meant to be representative. It's meant more to be like a think tank, right? And we pose these same questions to them. And what's amazing is we always leave the room going, huh, I never thought of that, right? And that's just to say that they're coming in with that kind of perspective and those types of experiences. They're living that moment to moment in their programs. And so they're able to come up with really great ideas and really great kind of initiatives that Jennifer will tell you uh, because she's, you know, you've got longer experience in terms of in terms of being at YSGS, have fueled and have led to uh, innovations. We started Grad Cafe about, I think, five, six years ago. And it was really a, a way to engage students to get them thinking about what kind of graduate community would would really inspire them at Ryerson. It's a big university. It's predominantly undergraduate, like so many universities are, relatively small group of people, and really used the Grad Cafe as a as a think tank, but more than a think tank, a place to explore ideas and to take those ideas that come from students and say, okay, let's let's run with that. Let's see what we can do with respect to some of these ideas. The advisory board came out of that. 
our grad competitions, the Career Connect initial ideas came out of that. Grad showcase. Grad you, you showcase. Even, yeah, you had uh, grad students that created their own conference out of yeah. that. That's right. Yeah. So, and I think that's been really empowering. Students talk about these ideas. Mm-hmm. They have a space and a place that supports them in being able to 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 actually make something of the idea. So a classic example um, was around student space. Graduate students have very limited space on campus, and I know the whole university is constrained by space, but mm-hmm. for example, when the new student learning center was being, was being developed, there was no intention of having a dedicated space for graduate students. Well, students at Grad Cafe at that time thought this was just unconscionable that, you know, that they could be so totally left out of the student learning center and, and their space needs and launched a very active and proactive campaign that resulted in, in actually having dedicated space just accessible only to graduate students. So one of the really cool things is we've I like to have conversations. I like to play with ideas, but I also like to turn that into something that's tangible. And the students have really run with that kind of ethos and done a lot of really, really remarkable things. Graduate student leadership awards, faculty acknowledgement awards. So lots of really concrete things from the pan-university perspective in the broad engagement. Those things have also played out locally in curriculum and program changes as well. So I wouldn't want to sort of spin this this sandwiching of, you know, things from things that might some might say come from sort of the the top of the pyramid, but really what has to happen is it's that integration of the entire system working together with a particular view to doing things a little differently. So we've been talking a lot about students and this idea of collaboration being sort of necessary for for some of the changes and ideas that you're describing. How do these changes sit with supervisors or professors who are teaching in these programs? What does it mean for their pedagogy and how might it have to, or how, how is it evolving? I think it can be quite liberating. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've certainly had conversations with professors who see it that way, who see the potential to now do things in more creative ways uh, because, you know, we're saying it's okay to actually think outside the box as opposed to, you know, these are the this these are the criteria, this is what you're supposed to do, and this is what it looks like, this is what's always looked like, and this is what it's going to look like. So I think that's allowing for greater creativity on the part of professors. So they're Mm. experimenting with new types of projects, projects um, that are bringing students, for example, into the community, Mm. right, or bringing community into the classroom. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so that I think I think part of it is liberating. There is another part that could be a little bit. You know, scary, right? Because you're now doing things that might look a little different, or that's not really what you want to do, and that's totally okay as well. Do you foresee, like, a uh, in the recent, like, in the near future, no comps? <laughs> well, I. It's like you hit a nerve. Yeah. No, I. I would hope to. Yeah. But but that but the point is not what I hope to see. It's a, the point is about engaging people in the conversation. So when you say to someone, well, you know why they used to have comprehensive exams? You know why those were initially instituted? They were at a time when there was a very limited repository of of accessible knowledge, right? So you had to be, you know, the sage on the stage. There was a reason for that because you were the repository. Now anyone with a mobile phone 
with some level of good critical engagement can access information anywhere. So is it important that you can remember what zero exclusion programming, the tenets of it are? Or is it more important that you know how to find that information and that you know how to find um, you know, critiques of whether or not that works well in X, Y, or Z place? So I think when we have a conversation about starting with why are we doing this and does it make sense and is there a better way in your area, discipline, to, to ascertain that kind of, of competency. So you're, you're sitting here as leaders at our institution in graduate studies. Um, you had graduate experiences. How did your own graduate experiences inform your approach <laughs> to graduate education today? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think my experience as a graduate student certainly gave me a, an acute appreciation for while the times are different, Many of the stressors and pressures that graduate mm-hmm. students face um, haven't changed substantially. Um, you know, you have this pr- time in your life when you're, we used to call it the transient poor. I mean, you, money is tight. I ate Hormel turkey, chili, and rice for goodness knows how long. Um, I had, uh, I had, I think, burgeoning mental health issues. I, I tell the story about running around. But every time I go out somewhere, I would hide floppy disks of my dissertation drafts in all sorts of places. I'd leave one with my neighbor. I'd have one in the boot of my car. I'd put one in my mailbox and, you know, completely on the verge of, of losing it. So from that experience, I think I, I get what it feels like to be a graduate student. And so that informs my student-centric approach. Mm-hmm. The other part that I think has been really helpful is, is, you know, pursuing the present role I'm in with a really fine lens on the, the scholarship around. This, I, my research isn't in this area, but I've taken the, the skill set I have as, a, as an academic and a researcher to say, how can, how can we do this differently? How can we do this in a better way? What does the literature say? And so I think that has definitely informed my experience and interest in, in graduate education, my thinking about some of these things we're talking about. Yeah, I, I think if for me, uh, I keep thinking, I have this huge smile on my face right now because I keep thinking about my first graduate experience and then my graduate experience after post-PhD, you know, after I became a professor and then decided to go back and do an MFA. Oh, interesting, yeah. And the two are absolutely opposite. And what for me they do is they confirm the importance of building community, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, the lens that we bring on our programming. Uh, my first experience, I really had to create my own community. And even there, it was it was a real struggle because, as Jennifer was saying earlier, there's a whole sense of, you know, the isolation. I think maybe, Chelsea, you were saying that about graduate students mm-hmm. feeling isolated, et cetera. But in my most recent experience, graduate experience, there was an intention community building component in the program. So the way the program was built, the way we were encouraged to work together as students through specific intentional projects, the importance placed on creating community. Uh, And the two experiences could not have been more different. Whereas one, I mean, I can count on the fingers of one hand how many friends I still have from that program. Okay, one. From this program, not only do I still have friends, but I have people I collaborate with on a regular basis that I'm actually doing work with. And that really speaks highly to the importance of community building. 
the one other thing I would add is that what being involved in graduate education has reminded me is that there is an assumption that because all of us have, at least in the university, most of us professors have whatever the terminal degree in our area is, you know, master's degree or a doctoral degree, and we assume based on that that when it comes to working with students, when it comes to developing curriculum, that we know what the hell we're doing. Mm-hmm. And, and the reality is none of our education, for the most part, for most people, uh, really focuses on what is effective pedagogy, what is effective advising of graduate students. And so as a default, many of us, it's kind of like parenting. You either revert to the way you were parented and then you say, well, I'm never going to do what my parents did or you say you're, you're going to or whatever. So you, you draw on your experience, your assumptions. And that's why I think it's really important that we go back to, to the literature and what we know about best practice and resist the temptation just to have our practice informed by our own experiences. We all need to have that, that lens and, and the willingness to say we might not always get it right. And so that level of reflection and that kind of stuff I think is, is really important as well. One of the things you got to remember is graduate school, the time you spend there, the people you spend it w- with is probably the, one of the most incredibly enriching points in your life. So fully, fully embrace that experience and, and, and try to counter that sort of drive to where am I going to be? What am I job? What am I going to do mm-hmm. to, to really take and fully engage in this time of your life that is really, really enriching and incredibly rewarding? Well, thank you both for speaking with us today. It was a pleasure. Well, thanks. Thank you. It was fun. Yeah. And thanks to everyone at RTA Productions. Kira Corbett and Jillian Pownell are putting this episode together for us. And thank you to the Learning and Teaching Office. They fund this this podcast. If you have any feedback on today's episode or if you have a teaching idea you would like to share, uh, please reach out to us at podagogies at ryerson.ca or leave a comment in the comment section.